You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solarray, experts in solar energy management. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into our podcast, Energy Insiders on Renew Economy. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor, and as usual, joined by David Leach from ITK. David, um, how are you this fine day? Uh, very well, thanks, Giles, and hello to you and to our special guest and to all of our listeners. Indeed, yes. Look, um, our special guest this week is Phil Blythe from GreenSync um, Software and Hardware. Phil, welcome. How, um, how are you? Oh, I'm good, Giles. How are you? Very good. Look, Phil, just give us a quick sort of five-second, ten-second overview of what your company does. Yeah, look, GreenSync's an energy tech company, uh, sort of a new breed of, of tech companies that uh, really specialise in uh, bringing technology to uh, the world of uh, the, the energy uh, transformation that we're seeing in the, through the through increased growth of renewables, and specifically around distributed energy uh, resources. So it's really this shift from the traditional paradigm into this kind of new paradigm, and uh, and really, it's the it's the technology you mentioned, you know, hardware and software that that we uh, we need to really push the the boundaries yeah. in this. Uh, so, so not not just the Internet of Things, then. I I don't really like using that term. I think it's too broad, and I think we've got to as a as an industry start being more specific uh, around energy tech because you know understanding exactly how we balance renewables is a very specific problem. Um, Internet of Things can mean anything from you know, um, uh, monitoring how much pet foods left in your your animals <laughs> dog bowl to you know to something more serious around you know what what exactly you know always a key metric in our household. I got to Phil, say how much. Pet I, 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 I see you as like uh, one of the characters of the Cormac McCarthy, McCarthy book, or well, not you so much, but your company. You're kind of like down on the American Mexico border. You're in that murky area between uh, behind the meter and in front of the meter. And I, I guess that that must be a very interesting area to be in right now. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't really necessarily think of myself as a caricature, but maybe others do. But um, certainly, I think the uh, yeah, the industry is really it's finding different ways to describe itself. You know, the grid edge is one way uh, that we characterise ourselves. But you know, as you say, it feels like every you know you have to be kind of halfway into the desert before you you know you find us. Um, but you know we're very much active in the cities and you know all over uh, you know wherever the action is in the grid. So we'll, we'll get into some of that later on and, and and find about some of your specific things. But um, look, I guess um, your your business and, and your technology was pretty much one of the hot co- topics of conversation at the Clean Energy Summit, which I guess was the major news event of the past week. Um, David, you were there. I was there. Phil was there. Um, Phil won a prize, and we'll get to that later too. Um, what struck you mostly? I mean, I, I guess the thing that struck me most, I mean, apart from the general optimism of the place, um, there were 600 people there. A lot of them were in business. Things are happening, as we know. A lot of things are getting built. People are thinking, starting to think very differently about the grid. I guess the thing that struck me most was probably the some of the distri- uh, network operators and the transmission groups in particular talking about Talking about change, Transgrid talking about 100% renewables. It's possible, it's feasible, it's affordable. Ergon Energy talking about the rapid transformation that's happening in North Queensland, how they're going to be a big exporter 
of solar power um, probably within 12 months when a lot of those um, plants being constructed now um, get into shape. David, anything particularly strike your hit your note? No, I agree with what you were saying about uh, transmission. Um, I think it's it's it still remains a focus. I was struck by the amount of support that there was for the Finkel report, even though my feeling is people don't really understand all the implications for it all that well. They, nevertheless, uh, I was struck by uh, Kane Thornton's uh, observation that he was at the COAG summit and he said he'd, he this was the first time he'd seen, you know, uh, a kind of lot of momentum. Uh, so there are all those things. I also uh, listened to the guy talking from uh, Queens, uh, powering Queensland Power, which is, the, I think, the, one of the transmission operators up there, uh, pointing out that, you know, the powering North Queensland plan is just a line on a map. And then the next breath you hear about the Kennedy Energy Park, which is potentially can reduce the Queensland community service obligation by 10% and can be 1,200 megawatts. And that can't run and uh, can't be built uh, really until that transmission line is done. So, you know, there were a lot of fine words at the conference. There's a lot of optimism and certainly a lot of utility projects are getting done. Behind the meter storage and behind the meter PV is very exciting. And yet at the same time, uh, I still feel we're missing a few of the basic building blocks and, and still uh, re missing a few bits to, to, to really be that confident. Indeed, yeah. and you wrote a very nice piece for us too about you know for God's sake let's um, let's get this um, let's get this done. We need to start thinking about these transmission lines. Phil, um, we seem to be moving towards this sort of thesis. Well, well, two things, I guess. One, the network companies seem to be very much aboard this transition now, and I'd be interested to get your take on that because you probably deal with them quite a lot in some of your trials and some of your actual commercial business opportunities. And we seem to be also moving towards this sort of two-pronged approach, which is transmission lines, which Schaefer has been talking about, plus the importance of distributed generation, so like localised generation and basically linking the two. Is, is that a fair summation? Yeah, look, I think that's right. I think it, it, someone made the observation actually at the, at the dinner. Um, I, I think it was, 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 might have been someone from the Clean Energy Council, but they remarked that uh, here we are, and I think they just announced the prizes, and, and all of the nominees or a lot of the nominees were actually distribution businesses. And I think the remark was like, who would have thought we, we, as a Clean Energy Council we'd be sitting here giving prizes to distribution businesses? <laughs> and, and it's, I suspect uh, of our few, of, few of our listeners might have a different view about where the prizes should have gone, but keep going. <laughs> but, but I think it's a, it, but it's a really important um, observation because I think it, it is true that they, they have finally, and we've, we've, we've been knocking on the doors and you know pushing this message home for you know over five years and but they really are in many regards coming to the party and i think that uh, so many years of declining revenues and declining low growth uh is really hitting home and i think they've all very much know that their future lies with understanding and grappling with some of these problems less so the transmission ones but certainly on the, on the decentralized and distributed energy front um, so I think that's really where we're seeing the awakening of, of these utilities trying to understand their future better. So, Phil, I wanted to ask you, I mean, one of the eternal debates is whether distributed energy is, going to, is cheaper than grid-delivered energy. Of course it is from the point of view of many households at the moment. And I just wondered if you thought that gap was going to increase as storage becomes more more prevalent or, or, or whether you see some prospects for, for the grid closing the gap. Yeah, look, I think it's a um, uh, you know this question of you know do we go and build transmission lines and you know get more renewable energy on through utility scale or just push the decentralisation. 
Uh, look, it's different countries are going to go through this transition in different ways, but certainly with the abundance of uh, of sun we have in Australia, I think there's there's options. But I think you guys know that building transmission lines is a very expensive business, uh, and you, you can you know billions of dollars of investment required. Uh, now that certainly could unlock a lot more um, solar to be to be put onto the network, but then you've got to transport that and and reticulate that. Uh, and the infrastructure required to do that is, is really the, the key question. So I think really what we've got to do is better understand what the true uh, cost of being able to deliver renewable energy across our grids. And this is really tied into to the major initiative that we've uh, pushed for the last 12 months, which is, um, which is DEX, which is a, a collaboration across the industry uh, for, from network businesses, um, certainly a lot of the the government regulators and, and uh, peak bodies such as the ENA and AMO, uh, AMC, uh, and very much trying to understand how you can understand the cost of moving energy from one place to another in a much more granular way. Mm. And I think that a better appreciation for knowing how to do that opens all sorts of opportunities. Understanding how we can do you know, virtual net metering, how we can do peer-to-peer -peer trading. Um, so I think that's really the, the, the grander question it's partly tied into this utility versus just decentralized question, but it, but it's much broader, and I think it's it, there's loads of opportunity there. I guess for me, the big question is: at the moment, we are paying a ridiculous amount for our electricity. I mean, it's above thirty cents a kilowatt hour for the usage. You throw in the unavoidable grid charges, and it's um, you don't get much change out of forty cents a kilowatt hour at the moment, and that's just absolutely outrageous. It's a system to me that doesn't work properly. It's too expensive. Um, you could probably burn some diesel um, in a genset and, and get cheaper energy. Um, not that you would really want to. Is the system of the future and everything that we're talking about here with the virtual um, power plants and the peer-to-peer -peer trading and um, all this other stuff and the distributed grids, surely the prospect has to be that this has to be significantly cheaper than what we have now. Is, is that a prospect, do you think? Uh, uh, can I just butt in? I, I mean, I, it's really... The, the volumes going through the grid have declined about 9%, but the grid has kept investing. And, and there's only one way to fix that. It's to reduce the actual regulated asset base, which is nearly impossible to do, to reduce the return on the regulated asset base, which is just about as impossible to do, or to increase the volume of, grid, of electricity going through the grid. They're the only real ways in the long term. The, the generation prices can come down, but the grid prices, the grid to transmission and distribution prices are going to be very, very sticky. So really the, the true answer is to put more volume through the grid, through things like electric vehicles. But anyway, Phil may have a different view. Oh, look, I would, you know, I would certainly agree. They're the long-term trends and I don't think you can really do anything to, to really change those. As you say, EVs might pose, a, you know, might be a light at the end of the tunnel for for distribution businesses, but but really that that is the the, the macro trend. I think the what you touched on in terms of um, writing off assets, certainly we've seen that in places like Germany where they've written off large portions of their their um, transmission and distribution assets, uh, and sort of course corrected based on that. I, I think look that is hard to do retrospectively, but I I don't think we're far away uh, in this country. Certainly understanding that you can't go and build a 40-year asset very easily anymore is, is, is pretty much hit home. Certainly we've seen that with coal generators. And it's the same with interconnectors and transmission lines now. 
And this is, you know, back to that point you made before, David, around uh, these transmission lines that we that we can use to hook up these renewable sources. That does assume that they're going to be paid off over a forty-year period. Now, the real challenge is: do we really? How well do we understand the system in in you know ten years, let alone forty? Um, if we try to write these things off over ten years, which is probably more a realistic time horizon, we'll find that the the investment case for any of these things is really challenging. Um, now, that's that is sort of it, there's a positive and negative to that. That's sort of that, that's sort of part and parcel of that uncertainty, you know, for electricity prices going forward. But it does push decentralized energy and the power and the, the value of decentralized energy up that curve. So, back to this question mark. Um, do we descent, go for central grid scale utility, utility scale uh, solar and storage, or do we look at decentralized? And this is what I've just outlined there is the key argument for decentralized and having it much more localized. It's much less likely to, to be affected by those sort of long term. Uh, so having five problems. and 10 megawatt solar farms rather than sort of 200 and 300 megawatt ones. That's exactly right. And you have more of them and, lo and closer to where the, the load's actually being used. So this is the microgrid idea, and and I think this is the kind of thing that you actually is that what you won your prize for the Mornington Peninsula idea. I I, I wasn't at the dinner, so I, I kind of missed some of the detail. But I'm a big fan of microgrids, but I, I find it very hard to see how they can actually get implemented uh, very heavily, and we seem, still seem to lack the the planning processes or the vision at the top, whether it comes from the AEMC. I mean, these are concepts that are talked about but not really embraced in, in, in an absolutely fundamental way. Yeah, look, microgrids are, uh, I, you know, I think they're at the, very much at the frontier of the, the technology curve of, of, for us to move to sort of that decentralised design. Uh, but look, this particular uh, example where we, we work with Osnet Services and, and we won the prize for, for, um, for this implementation at Muralbark, it's actually a suburban street that's 100% solar. It's about 95% solar and storage, um, self-generated uh, within the street. And there's a couple of houses there that, that um, don't have solar on them. But the, look, the, the idea was to see really what happens when we push the curve right through to that, you know, the end of the, the renewable spectrum and how, how do we manage stability? How do we island that particular location to run it like a microgrid? Uh, how easy is that to do? Um, and what did you find? It's really hard. Um, <laughs> we did it. We succeeded, but it's not simple uh, by by any stretch of the imagination. And um, and that was done in a fairly controlled way. And if you think that we're going to take all of our streets and just you know run them as individual microgrids, you know, um, in the next couple of years, even if we do have the the penetration of of solar and storage, uh, I think the reality is that it's it's a really complicated um, thing to do now in rural context and remote context they do it and they use a, a fair amount of diesel generation to, to you know add that stability quotient to it but when you start hitting 80 90 percent it's really tough um, but look it was a great learning experience I think the you know there's a lot of things we've got to do on our grids to get to the point where we need to start moving to microgrids I mean there are places in Western Australia and, and rural Queensland where there are a few locations will sort of um, Hit the well, microgrid. Right. Well, the WA the guys and the Queensland guys have made that very clear because you've got so you've got a couple of hundred kilometres of poles and wires. So sort of cutting them off or making reduced size seems, seems to be the obvious thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think initially they'll be diesel, you know, plus with some renewables. But you know, they probably wouldn't hit anything more than sort of fifty percent. 
and that'll be okay. I think that'll work for some time. I think getting to the fact we, we're there at the time where we have a hundred percent renewable microgrids. I think that's that's really at the uh, uh, you know a few years down the track. How far? Oh, I'll give it ten years maybe. Okay, okay, well, that's promising. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you talked about the things that need to be done. What's what's the top of your priority list? Look, I think the the reality is we've got decentralization happening very quickly. You know, 1.6, 1.7 million solar solar rooftops in Australia, and now we've got the wave of batteries coming. I think one of the the the, the real shames would be if, if we allow batteries just to roll out and they don't actually contribute back to the stability in the grid. So I think really what we need at a more uh, national level is a way to integrate all of these resources such they can be automated and controlled as part of a larger system. Currently, all of these types of resources fall under the 10 megawatt uh, threshold where, where they're even integrated into the into the central So market. no one knows and no one cares. Well, That's right, they're just invisible. In terms of the no one knows, I mean, one of the recommendations of the Finkel report is that there is going to be more... Um, uh, of a register of all the distributed resources around the system. But you mentioned control, uh, Phil. One, one of the things about it is control. I mean, one of the things I think people like about distributed energy is that they get control. They, I'm not sure that they all want networks telling them when to use their battery. Yeah, and, and we, we would agree. I think I think all people who go and invest in their own resources, that's exactly what they're doing. They're investing in their own infrastructure and they want a sense of control out of that. Uh, but what we're really enabling is imagine you go and buy that solar system and that storage system and as an investor you say, well, I'd like to get my money back as soon as I can. And in fact, I'm going to lease that, that use, the use of that uh, those resources to my energy retailer and I might also lease them to my uh, um, transmission network and I occasionally I might le- lease them to my distribution network and for a fair price uh, they can use my resources and I get paid for it and you know re- at the end of the day that's really what you want as a as a energy consumer is control over how it's used and then get a fair price for, for its contribution back so to let's, the grid. Let's just clarify that you're leasing this thing. So you're basically allowing the network or whoever to be able to take control of your battery storage because they might want something, they might want to meet peak demand, they might want to uh, meet a system fault, and then the homeowner who owns this battery will actually get a payment for doing whatever it takes. It might actually be shedding some load. It might actually be, I think some networks have even suggested sort of disappearing making yourself invisible from the grid for a short time. I mean, presumably there's a whole bunch of different opportunities. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's, so it's it, setting up a, a way that you can contract those resources into the, into the general market. And to do that, there's a, you know, a few prerequisites to be able to have it visible and measurable and be able to see it. Uh, but, and then to be able to find a common way that they can send control signals from the various and, utilities. And not just the control signals, which I, that's your area, but also I think to capture the uh, positive externalities, you know, the, the avoided network investment, there needs to be rewards for that somehow. But I guess what you've actually done, haven't you, the Lonely Planet site down there in, in Melbourne? I, I saw at the storage convention, uh, there was some discussion of that. Uh, there was you mentioned. I saw about the revenues from that, but is there going to be a return on investment for for both parties out of that particular project? Yeah, that's that that particular site is a um, is a Tesla uh, battery. It's about three hundred kilowatts, I think, two or three hundred kilowatts, uh, and that has a there's numerous ways that that battery is used. It's used to uh, 
to reduce the demand charges of the overall building. Uh, it sort of it, it moves energy between peak and off peak. Uh, it would also bid into the wholesale market with together with the with the retailer. And uh, in the case of this demand response market that's just been announced, um, f for example, uh, that's another market that that battery can contribute to. So. What, the only way to really make battery storage programs stack up these days is there's many value streams that you add together uh, and to, to be able to enable an asset like a battery to realise those multiple value streams that essentially has to contract with many different counterparties. And thus the sort of the, the push towards you know, this decentralised market idea that, we, um, that we've been progressing. Sure, but will that particular site actually get a commercial return on investment? Are, are you happy with the parameters or happy yeah, enough? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we don't really do anything that has a, has a commercial, certainly in storage, you know, the, the commercial paybacks are in the range of uh, anywhere between five and eight years that we're doing projects on today. And do you see many more sites like that? That's commercial sites as opposed to households. To me, with those demand charges and I guess bigger initial volumes, it, it seems to me like there's still quite a lot of opportunity for commercial sites to, to follow that lonely or maybe less lonely planet example. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we've got a very big pipeline that um, that we may be announcing sort of towards the end of the year of, of, uh, of clients that have done exactly that and have really pushed into, particularly with, you know, the record high energy prices uh, and, and still demand charges and things going up. Uh, everyone's screaming out for, for solutions, which, whichever, whichever way they can find them. Uh, and battery storage uh, is fairly new, but certainly does uh, provide a, another way to, to provide relief from particularly demand charges and, and some of the exposure to the wholesale market. Now, one of the other things that's um, going to be happening this summer, and um, I guess this summer is going to be is like fingers crossed and um, situation, um, particularly in the heat waves, as we hope um, that the coal and the gas-fired generators stay online and don't, don't melt in the sun. Um, big demand management um, initiative put forward by AEMO. It's got the support of the New South Wales, the Victorian and the South Australian government. I understand there was a tender for at least part of that, um, which closed last week. A lot of people put in... Um, a lot of people put in um, proposals. Um, my understanding is, Phil, that you guys put in sort of proposals to this demand management thing. What sort of things are we talking about here? Yeah, look, there's a, a very wide breadth of, of proposals that went into that uh, into that uh, program. It was interesting in that it, uh, it it began as a shortfall in 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 capacity, uh, spinning reserve capacity for South Australia and Victoria. Uh, in the you know to the tune of about seven or eight hundred megawatts, so a very large shortfall with with Hazelwood going offline. Uh, so Arena, in, rather than trying to sort of fill the the entire shortfall, what it did is they they got together with AMO to to look at a sort of an innovation program to really sort of spurn on innovation in this space. So it was less the traditional diesel generation backup type of scenario, much more in the let's experiment into new areas. So. Certainly, the, as a tech company, we, we really partnered with others. We didn't really sort of put ourselves out there in, into the um, tender process uh, directly. But, um, you know, the types of things that we saw were, you know, residential programs, behavioral demand response programs, a lot of battery storage at the small scale, uh, as well as, uh, you know, commercial uh, and industrial uh, programs that were really sort of looking at different things like refrigeration systems and 
specializing in different areas. So yeah, look, look, it'll be interesting to see what comes out. But there was, a, from what we saw, a, a real breadth of, of different ideas. Uh, now the real cr- crux of it is that it's got to be done very quickly. So you know, there's it's on innovation on one hand, but we've it's really a race to get things done by December this year. Giles, mm. I, I want to draw. I was on a panel with uh, Marija Pekovic from Energy Synapse, and I was incredibly impressed by her presentation. Uh, about the $700 million US that she'd been able to save uh, customers in in, uh, in in one region in the USA with her demand response bidding. And she pointed out, you know, some of the deficiencies like demand response should be able to get, you know, the same $14,500 as, as generation. Uh, I'd recommend that presentation to anyone who's interested uh, or chatting through with Energy Synapse. Any, if you want to follow through on demand response, I, I, she seemed to know a lot about it. Yeah, no, we'll, um, we'll definitely do that. In fact, um, but what's exciting about these things, you know, with battery storage and distributed generation and, and microgrids and mini grids and demand management is that we're actually looking to a smarter way of operating the grid. And I guess this has been one of the the big things that um, the new head of AEMO, Audrey Zieberman, um, um, has been pushing. And um, I just want to say it was encouraging to hear Josh Frydenberg, the um, energy minister who also appeared at the uh, Clean Energy Summit and a uh, very sort of nice little cosy sort of fireside chat, if you like, with um, Annabelle Crabb. But um, we didn't get much out of him. I think he sort of made all the right noises, but he did make a specific point of actually sort of saying that he thought that um, Audrey Zieberman had been doing a very, very, very good job, which is gratifying to hear considering some of the fact that she's been copying from some of the Conservatives. Well, Giles, I think we're running out of time, but I, I just want to point out that you know, we've been critical. I've been critical of AEMO and uh, AEMC in the past, but my my heart goes out to them with all the amount of work that they've now uh, let themselves in for over the next twelve months, and uh, uh, they'll really have their head down. I think, uh, you know, with the uh, demand response, the uh, changes in the rules, the Energy Security Board reviews of this, reviews of that, uh, the need to look at a fast res- uh, frequency response, uh, to, uh, distributed uh, energy zones, and transmission links to them. <laughs> no shortage of things to do. Yeah, absolutely, and, the, and 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 over above them, the five minute rule too. Um, Phil, are you you in favour of the five minute rule and and want that in? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think certainly it's it's going to you know allow batteries and and fast responding resources to to realise more out of the market. Uh, but yeah, as, as you say, it's one of the changes that a host of changes that I think will go through over the next twelve months, uh, and it'll be an interesting time to see how much they get done out of that long list. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So you're feeling sort of overall better about the um, the way forward now than you say you were six to twelve months ago. Oh, absolutely. I think it's been a um, you know. Why waste a crisis? As I think um, Audrey said herself um, at a recent event, you know, it, it, this is an opportunity for everyone in the industry to work together. To uh, there's money on the table. There's a lot of uh, savings to be to be had by removing this this problem that we have in front of us. Um, we can do it quickly. We can uh, we can bring in new types of technologies, new market types types of market reform. There's you know there's a host of opportunities. So. So I really hope we we capitalise it and don't end up uh, fighting amongst ourselves. Indeed. Hey, hey, uh, Phil. Sorry, Um, Phil. um, Thanks very much for joining us um, today. It's been great to hear you and um, and hear your views about things. And look forward to hearing some more news about your various projects. Great. Thanks, Giles. Good. And uh, no worries, David. Just uh, before we go, um, anything on the agenda for next week? Well, I think there's a regulatory conference coming up in uh, Brisbane. Uh, So there is. 
Um, so it'll be interesting, you know, lots of chat I expect to hear about the forthcoming legislation about the abolishment of appeals to the competition tribunal. And my I only point about that is that all that's going to do is lead to more appeals directly to the federal court. It's not going to make things faster or better or even uh, solve the problem in itself, just cutting out one part of the legal process. But that's that's what I'm focused on. And then I think the actually arena uh, after that uh, have got another conference uh, with some leading speakers. So the, yeah, you know, the, the debate goes on. These uh, conferences, I, I, I take my, tip my hat to the organisation of the Clean Energy Council. They did a great job. And I'll keep talking for another hour if I don't shut up, Joel. <laughs> Thanks, David. Um, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, Solaray. And um, we'll be back same time next week or whatever time that you choose to, to tune in. Thanks, David, and thanks, Phil. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.